We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. My job is amazing because I get a chance to sit down and talk to some of the most interesting people that, you know, that I've ever met and I hope that you've ever listened to. And today is no different. I had the opportunity to sit down with a really good friend of mine who I met several years ago, a woman by the name of Caroline Davis or Dr. Caroline Davis, if you will. And we talked about, man, so many great things. You know, we kind of just, I don't know, we kind of just went from one thing to the next without really having a clear direction, but it ended in such a beautiful place, you know. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the things that happened in Vegas just a few days ago, and we definitely touched on that. Uh, We talked about her living in several different places throughout her life, from Singapore to Texas, Chicago, New York City, and, you know, just her journey and how it has shaped her and how it's informed her career, her, her music. And she's very, very interesting because she studied music cognition, just understanding how music affects you from how it can enhance an autistic kid's uh, point of view or ability to learn or how it affects you when you break up or you have a bad relationship, you know, or even even how it affects you when you're in church or when you're on the treadmill. You know, it's just so interesting how powerful music can be. So sit back and relax and, uh, you know, have a listen. Well, one one really important thing that shaped me was uh, this. is It's not a very long story, but just being around this this mentor of mine, Von Freeman, who is a kind of like 80, 80 year old mentor of mine in Chicago, who I got to see fairly often at this club um, on the South side called the new apartment lounge and just going down to the South side as a white person, for example, and being in being around people in that community was very, it was just very important for me to experience that because, you know, I don't know if you've been to Chicago, I'm sure you have, but, and many people have, but it's various, it's a very segregated place. Um, so the majority of African-American people live on the South side while the majority of white people live on the North side. And that's like a very big generalization, but it's true for the most part. And, um, unless you kind of take yourself out of your surrounding on a regular basis, you, you could not see that kind of environment or that kind of culture. And it's important that we like, we grow, grow together in that way, even if the city is not set up geographically that way for you. So those experiences of going down to the South side, like weekly um, and hanging at this bar with these people and, and creating this relationship with them and this, this mentor of mine um, who eventually one of the, this moment, moment that I'm going to describe is like what was one of the most important things that helped me believe more in my, myself was that he invited me up on stage with him to play to play a couple songs during his set because normally he would play a play a long set of music mm-hmm. and nobody else would get invited up but sometimes on these rare occasions he would invite people up and I'm sitting in the audience and I and he was like I'd like to invite Caroline Caroline up for a couple songs and I'm like losing it you know <laughs> absolutely losing it. and everybody's like clapping in the room and they're like go on caroline get up there and everyone's like hooting hollering 
and everyone's being super supportive. And I get up there and I open my saxophone case and I don't have a reed <laughs> with my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> oh my and I'm God. like, oh my God, this oh is like no. the biggest moment, you know, and one of the biggest moments in my life. And I don't like have one, the one thing I need to play my instrument. Just that support and that the, the love that he showed me in, in this like kind of, in this way of inviting me up and just making me feel like I was a part of that community, you know, even though I'm not, I'm not a black person, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a part of that community racially, but being a part of that community in that way made me feel so accepted and made me feel like I belonged somewhere and that I had a voice. Now I want to play a game. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to say, I'm going to just say some words. And then I want you to tell me a story that the first story that comes to your your brain. Don't filter, okay? Do just be honest. Don't filter. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm scared. No, don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared. You just hey, look. It's the. Uh, I don't even have a name for this game. We got to come up. With, let's see. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. I don't have a name, but I'll have a name next episode. How about that? All right. <laughs> we'll hold you to that. All right, cool. First word, love. Love. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> the first story that comes to my mind. Huh? Um... <laughs> oh, man. I just, man, I remember the first time I fell in love. <laughs> you... You just kind of draw. I, I I think I lost a couple friends in the in the ways of love, um, at the beginning because you kind of just like drop all your friends. You're like, I can't, I can't deal with any of my friends anymore because I'm in love. You know, I remember I'm like I'm in like right. junior high school and I can't. I'm just obsessed with this person, you know, and calling them all the time, and then all of my other friends kind of disappear, you know, <laughs> and you're like, what happened to all my friends? But they come back eventually, you know. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. But I did fall in love, kind of, or I thought I did. You, it's funny because you think you fall in love at an early age, and it is kind of love when you're like twelve, but it isn't really love, you know. Right. It's kind of more infatuation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but you know, you have to live a little life to 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 even decipher what love is and what love isn't. That's right. Yeah. You know, and then when you actually do fall in love, which might not be until you're 50. That's and, right. And then you're like, yeah. damn, all that other shit wasn't actually this. <laughs> so. Yeah. Or it, might, or it might be love. It was just maybe you just grew. And so it's a different kind of love or something. Right. I just I remember the love whenever I first fell in love. And that love was more like, wow, you can kiss people. <laughs> <laughs> Like oh, I didn't, just the feeling of kissing someone was was like wow. Right, right. <laughs> this is you know, and so that for me was love. <laughs> no, for sure. And you know what? The funny thing you you made a good point is is how how uh, you know love is always different, and That's not even right. just romantic love, but love for in in relationship with your best friends, or like love to play your instrument. Like I know that really shook me. Like how over time my love for my instrument changed. Or my yeah. love to perform changed based on the other experiences I had in life. So, like, love is 
as is an evolving animal like you know and it's constantly changing and and that in itself is a challenge to uh really uh deal with cognitively and emotionally yeah yeah next word saxophone <laughs> well i play the saxophone um okay well i you know what one reason why i started playing saxophone uh was my dad. He really loved like uh all the bands with the horn sections like Steely Dan and uh Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and uh Chicago <clears throat> all these bands that had big horns horn sections. Sly and the Family Stone. And so I always remember him singing along with these horn lines in the car when I was a little girl, like Da, 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 da. Like kind of <laughs> just my dad, you know, his voice and his funny falsetto, and I just remember wanting to connect with him in that way, and I, that was like a big reason why I played saxophone because mm-hmm. I thought my dad really likes horns, and the saxophone seems like the coolest one of all of them to play. So let me play that one. <laughs> um, but I, it was like. It really was a way for me to connect with my dad because, again, um, I didn't mention this before, but my dad and my parents split up. We did mention that, but but my dad moved back overseas after my parents split up, so I didn't really see him that much. Right. And so, you know, ways that I could connect with him and that weren't necessarily verbal or physical, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that was something that I feel like I did for him or – to connect with him. So. Wow. Wow. That's, that's deep, man. That's deep. <laughs> and here I am today, still playing that damn instrument. <laughs> still trying to figure out how to play that instrument. <laughs> look, look, man. At least you didn't pick drums, man. Like, then you had to move them, you know? That's the thing. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> one more, one you know, more. One you're more. roadie. Right. Your... Yeah. <laughs> man, shit. Tell me about it. Okay, last one. Or last word. Not the last question, mm-hmm. but divorce well whoo that one's a hard one <laughs> um yeah I got divorced it was wait, when, when was it we well we separated in 2009 is when I separated and then eventually we got a divorce a couple years later because we realized oh we need to legally make this happen um but I'm going to tell a story about actually going through the process of going to the courthouse and sitting there with my ex-husband um, and and actually being in the pews in the courtroom. It felt like pews. I'm like, am I in church or right. something? <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm sitting there waiting for the judge. And to make the process easier... Um, we had this, or I had like my iPod and I was like listening to music with my headphones, but then like I gave him the other side of the headphone. Okay. And we were listening to this song to together. Um, and, uh, and it was, um, just the Beatles, Norwegian wood, I believe. Oh, yeah. okay. And just having, the song playing and listening. I was just, I was in tears, you know, even mm. though I had realized that this person was not for me. And we realized that we weren't meant to be together, which is totally fine. Um, 
it was still an emotional experience of sitting there and you have to like sign these papers and the judge asks you like are you completely sure that you never want this person in your life again as a husband I feel like she asked me this really emotional question I'm like wait a second <laughs> <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is just like a legal thing and why is this why does this feel so emotional but it really was a very emotional experience for me um actually going and signing the divorce papers you know um and yeah divorce isn't necessarily a fun thing because I still really appreciate our friendship and I think he's an amazing person and we keep in touch from time to time. And I, I think it's important to keep doing that because he was my best friend for so long. Right. Right. Um, but the actual process of going through that was rough for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because as, as a divorcee, I mm-hmm. think, I think that it's, it, you, in your mind, you think it's going to be easier to end it. But it's just as difficult to end, end it as it was to begin it. That's true. So it's yeah. uh, signing those papers is difficult, man. Yeah, that's just hard, bro. Yeah, <laughs> it's a part of life. It's a part of life. Yeah, but it, you know, it makes you stronger. I think. Yeah, honestly, it does. I feel like I gain. I'm sure you feel this way too. But you you learn so much. You learn a lot, and then you're maybe you're more cautious the next time. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, do I yeah. really want to get married ah, again? Oh, right, that's know. the thing. Ah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's definitely, mm-hmm. definitely like the next time around. You're like, all right, because because you're you're informed. You're like, okay, now now I know. You know, that's right. It's like jumping out of an airplane. Like now now I know what's gonna happen. Now I know that I need a parachute. <laughs> right. So I, I need to. Yeah, I just need to think about it a little bit more, and uh, and that can go either way. You know, you don't want to be too cautious, but you don't want to be uh, just, you know, jumping out the plane with no parachute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, this this is making me think about because you're a teacher, you're a performer, and I want to talk about the space in between those two things, like you know, teaching, playing your horn. Like, what is that space for you in between those, and how do you marry? Uh, how do you marry them? and make them make sense in your life yeah you bring up a good point because sometimes I really don't feel like teaching (laughs) (laughs) to be honest sometimes I'm like going to teach or I'm going to do something and I'm like man I really just want to be playing my horn right now I really just want to play music right now but um so yeah that's a really really great question but I feel like uh trying to explain how to play music or explain how the history of music works, you know, like in, in our Webop Jazz at Lincoln Center classes, when we're explaining to adults and children how this music works or like where the music comes from, you have to kind of create, you got to come up with stories that are easy to hear and easy to understand, mm-hmm. um, which can be hard because <laughs> you want, you know, it's like, can you describe how jazz came to be in like one sentence <laughs> and developing that language or that, right. that ability is so tricky and it's but it's good because you you need to be fast and quick and effective um and I think that helps me also on the bandstand because jazz music you know 
not a lot of people listen to jazz music, first of all. And so you kind of have to convince them in like one or two sentences that you need to be listening to me right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Or like a few notes, like listen to me right now. And, and how do you do that? So you have to learn how to like grab people's attention. And sometimes I'm better at it on certain days than other days. But <laughs> I think that's one thing that helps me play better is explaining things to people in a quick amount of time or like just fast or like effectively and interest in an interesting way um you know i think that's one thing that has helped me marry the two of those things is being effective and like to the point and like hey here i am you know hear me out You know, because I understand, like in music cognition, that sometimes, uh, like in certain situations in life, like you went through this difficult thing of your parents being divorced, and yeah. you're in this heavily uh, in this different musical environment. Do you think that you latched more onto this music more so because of the stress that it that was causing? Is that like, I, I, as I understand it, that's kind of a thing in that field, right? In that in music cognition. Yeah, I I I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I definitely feel like because of the stress of that relationship breaking, I found emotional release in that music, you know, and when I, when it comes on now, like I'll listen to some of that music, you know, like, oh, all my life, <laughs> right. pray for someone like you. <laughs> and if I hear that song or if I hear any of like the in vogue, I remember listening to those tapes and like, you know, going through this emotion and yeah, of course that music is like, it goes all the way deep down, you know, I get these chills and memories that, you know, you listen to music and it comes, the, the memories just come back and you don't even try to remember things, but they just come back, you know? Right. And yeah. That... It's, yeah. You're right. Cause there was this thing that, uh, a study a few years back where they were playing music through iPods for people with Alzheimer's mm. and they, they, you know, they can't remember like their daughter or son's name, but then, they, then you play them this song by like the four tops or like the Supremes or something. And, Cause these people are kind of elderly and they start to remember things. They're like, Oh, I remember when I first heard this song and it's amazing. You know, like scientifically it's proven that these people are starting to have memories because they're listening to the music that meant so much to them during this time period. And so, yeah, that's definitely a, a phenomenon in the, in our field of study, for sure. Now, as I understand it, it works 
because uh, in ancient times, I guess people figured out if they sang a song while telling a story, uh, while giving oral history, for example, uh, people would be mm-hmm. more likely to remember it. And so our brains are now hardwired to remember uh, highly stressful or emotional situations that are also attached to some kind of a musical experience. Am I, is that right? Or Yeah, you're completely right. Mm-hmm. Because when we're listening to the, when we're creating these stories or when we're having these emotional experiences where there's all this like neurological, there's all these neurological events that are happening, like neurotransmitter, neurotransmitters are being released, like the stress hormones, cortisol, and, uh, you know, all of these hormones are being released in our, in our, in our brains neurophysiologically. And we start to attach everything in our visual sense or our aural sense, yeah, it's all it all comes together because it's related to this like chemical reaction or these neurological and electric reactions. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's got me thinking about. I mean, like you know, we've all been through so many different phases in life. Like I can remember back to middle school, like you know, when you're in your first love, you're in love with somebody, just being in my room <laughs> on the floor listening to certain music, or. You know, like my great grandmother died and it's like some music associated with that or, you know what I mean? Or just being at church. It's like all of this music that elicits certain emotions and feelings or uh, like uh, being like for me when I got divorced, it was like certain music that I was like, this is my divorce song. And like, you you know what I mean? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. it's like therapy. Now, my question for you is how can we use that to our advantage? Like, are there ways that we could use uh, this concept in in uh, music cognition to help us through rough times or to, like you said earlier, maybe propel us to work harder on the treadmill? Like, how do we harness that power? Um, well, I think, you know, the technology that's available to us today that allows us to, you know, tell, you know, you can tell a system, hey, I really like this song. This song helps me to work. Out. And so then these systems are like developed to find more songs that are like that. So you could create your own playlist, <laughs> your own divorce playlist, <laughs> or your own workout, right. <laughs> or your own workout playlist. Right, right. And then that way you can be exposed to new music, which is kind of awesome for musicians like us, you know, we're always looking for ways to get our music out there. But maybe our music speaks to someone on an emotional level, not just it might not be something that's, you know, oh, I like this piece of music for what it is, but it might be just because it helps them emotionally get through something. Um, but beyond, you know, creating our own playlist for emotional times, we can also like help other people who are going through really, you know, medically proven difficulties. So I have a lot of, I have one good friend who's in the music therapy industry. Um, she works as a music therapist uh, actually as a freelance music therapist in Philadelphia. And, you know, there's a great uh, program out there. And she's she went to Temple University out there um, in Philadelphia to study music therapy. And so I think that's another field of study that people can start. If you're interested in that, you can start to develop relationships with patients. Um, and the interesting thing, about music therapy is that there isn't one way to fix everybody you kind of have to develop songs and 
and strategies for each patient. So let's say there's a there's let's say there's like a ten year old boy with autism and it's bad autism and every time he he has a reaction to loud sounds or maybe he has a reaction to certain kinds of like clanky pots or something or maybe he has a reaction to um loud uh trucks or something and you want to try to help dispel those reactions or you want to try to get him to understand why he's doing them through song Hmm. um and that's one really important thing that i think a lot of People who are interested in music cognition and music therapy are doing these days, and it's becoming more of a way to 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 use therapy without talking. You know, because these because some of these kids who have autism, or even people with Alzheimer's, or um, any other kinds of neurological issues like that, they can't really express themselves. <clears throat> so the best way to deal with those uh, moments is is through song. You know if you have the patience to work with them. <laughs> right. No, you for know? sure. Yeah. Dude, um, I feel like even so there's if, important if, people. Yeah. Yeah. There's important people doing that, um, doing those things these days, that therapy. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, even if you are fully, you know, uh, capable of, of uh, expressing yourself verbally, it, I could see that, you know, it would be great for me to go into a therapy session and maybe have some music playing and not say anything and just kind of like, feel my emotions you know maybe that's a for completely quote-unquote i guess mentally healthy people mm-hmm. it seems to me i don't know i'm not an expert you are so <laughs> i don't know yeah, I don't know. No, that no it's it's true because we i think we as people we go through many emotions and and yeah we we go through our emotions and experiences without needing to express those in words to express any of our our emotions with words and a lot of people just need to experience that through song by singing even if they can't sing or through dance dance therapy is a thing that I I have some friends who work in that industry so um, they're teaching people how to express themselves through music and dance and movement so those people don't have to talk but it's a therapeutic way of dealing with your situation and that's I think that's like a new development that we're seeing Mm-hmm. These days in the psychology, psychologically arena, in the you know in the clinical psychology arena, um, which we didn't see as much before, you know. Right, of course. But it works for some people. It works. Yeah, it's you know you have to kind of figure out like everything else, like what works for me, and not necessarily subscribe to what the majority of the people are doing because you might yeah. need something different, you know. That's right. Yeah. Dang, you just made me think about the the stuff that happened in Vegas. You know, oh man. And, and uh you know, I don't know as musicians it's we are I don't want to speak for everyone but at least me I'm highly emotional or highly like I just the vibrations of the world affect me. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. And so like when you wake up in the morning and, and the first thing you you read or you you see on the news is you know, is a massacre of, of innocent people it's just like wow you know because we bring our job is to bring joy like we're always in a joyous situation like and if you think about that that's it's kind of nuts like who else gets to go to work and make you know hundreds of people happy instantaneously (laughs) you know and so when you see the the thing like that happen and you have to to figure out how to deal with that energy and also not not necessarily bring it out 
in your music. At least if you do, you only want to do it for one song, maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. And not just let that vibe be your vibe. I don't know how you deal with that, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to open your audience to that pain sometimes. Um, yeah, it can be difficult because if it's too much, then I guess it depends on what kind of music you like to listen to. Because <laughs> some people really like to listen to music that is sad and mm. and they, you know, fill their iTunes with that kind of music. And that's OK, you know, mm. Um I think the majority of people don't maybe don't like that, but, um, but yeah, I think it's important for us to open our audiences and our friends and our hearts open to the pain that the world and society can bring to us. And bringing that out in our music is something that I really, I do, I do that. Um, and maybe some people don't like that as much about my music, but I think it's important for people to hear that part of where the world comes from how to deal with our emotions in that way and it may not be pretty you know mm-hmm. but it's honest but it's honest. It's definitely honest that's for sure now we have i have a few tracks of yours now i want to try to get to all of them if i can but is there one in particular that you would like the audience to hear first um sure there's this track called lynn that speaking of kind of sad moments, but there's a track called Lynn that I wrote for a saxophone player named Lynn Halliday, who was pretty well known in Chicago. Um, and he had a pretty intense, you know, drug addiction and he just kind of like was one of those people you see go through life and, you know, having, issues because of the drug addiction mm. um like not maybe not showing up on time or like getting real nervous in certain situations i'm i'm telling you this through the eyes and ears of other people um because i never met him but oh. i heard all these you know c- kind of funny kind of sad stories about him so i wrote a song called lynn that was dedicated to to lynn halliday wow let's take a listen <laughs> Thank you. 
was just kind of things like that, you know. And he, he actually did move to New York for a little short time. Uh, and he lived in Nashville. He lived in, like, southern Illinois. Um, he was born in Arkansas and raised, like, in Little Rock. So I think he was exposed to a lot of jazz music down there. Um, but he was around Chicago and became kind of a staple of the scene in the 80s and 90s, playing at places like the Green Mill and uh, the Deja Vu, the Bop Stop, and Jazz Showcase and the Get Me High Lounge. So mm -hmm. uh, I wish I had been around when he was around, but I just wasn't. So Right, right. This kind of is crazy. You was like, all right, you don't even know this person. And you wrote a song that's so that captures, it at least seems to capture the essence of, you know, drug abuse. You, you know what I yeah. mean? Mm. And I think we all have, come on, everyone yeah. has someone <laughs> that they know, you know, or maybe you've, you know, we've all, we've all done some sort of drug, most of us. And, That's and then right. we've seen people with, with problems with, with it who can't control it. So yeah, you, uh, you really uh, hit the nail on the head with that one emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about just I just want I kind of want to just talk about like the music bit business for a second and how you how you go about you know uh, attacking the business of music or, or is that even something that you think about mm -hmm. yeah um well, attacking the music business maybe isn't something I think about, but mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to work with the music business is always something I'm struggling with every day, you know? Yeah. Because um, our business is changing day to day, and with all of the new technology, it's, you know, because making records used to be a really important thing that we did as musicians, you know, um, financially and uh, artistically. But these days, it's it takes so much to make an album happen. You know, you got to raise all the money, hire the musicians, book the studio. And there's usually, often these days, there's not many people doing that for you. You know, you can develop a team of people who are will help you develop that album. Like you can hire a producer or some friends, get some friends to help you organize the studio day. And you can help someone uh, be a publicist for your album when it comes out. Uh, but you kind of have to, especially in the jazz industry, you kind of have to be in charge of assembling your team. But I do think that that is one big thing that I've realized in most recent years is that how important it is to assemble a team of people who are behind you. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that is like a team of people in your band or a team of people who are working for your public relations, your publicist, your manager, um, or your booking agent, if you're lucky enough to get one of those. <laughs> um, but that's something that you kind of have to do on your own is to find those people who you can trust. And in this, yeah, in this world, it's hard to trust people, you know? I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's our challenge as uh you know, I don't even want to just put it as as only musicians, but I feel like freelance artists—you're an actor, you're a dancer, uh, you're into theater, or you're a visual artist. You know, the challenge is to figure out how to assemble your team and then how to monetize your skill set. Yeah, and uh, yeah. with with some sort of consistency. 
Yeah, I mean, just but that part of making friends and trying to develop relationships, I think, is super important. Like, the more you develop relationships and the more you go back to the same people and keep developing those relationships and show people that that you want to work with them and over time, I think that all pays off. It pays off. And that may take a lot of patience to develop those relationships because people get busy, especially in New York. So if someone who you thought was your on your team doesn't pay attention to you for a certain thing that you're putting out, then you might feel they're not on your team anymore, but they are on your team. You just have to be patient for them to recognize your you know, your, your album or your gig or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. People are, people are watching. That's the other thing that you have to realize that people are paying attention to you. Um, you may not know they are, but they are, you know? And so everything you do has to be something that you can be proud of, I think. Oh, 100%. That's what I try to do is, you know, I'm sure you, and you do that too, is like, deciding who you're going to play with like is this going to be good for me or if i if i put out this recording or if i record on this person's album or whatever it is it's like everything you you got to think about it about who you are and how people see you i ask everybody that comes on the show uh this question and i want to ask you too what are the three things that you're most thankful for that is a very difficult question indeed but i would say um, the first one that I'm thankful for is music and all the variety of music that I am lucky to be exposed to here in New York and in my life in general. Um, and the second thing is a community of friends and family and acquaintances and, uh, enemies, <laughs> who are a part of something that I am a part of and that make me feel welcome and make me feel loved and supported because sometimes um, that's all we need to feel good about what we're doing in this world. Um, And the third thing is something between like mental and physical health. (laughs) So inner peace um, and outer feeling good about your body and eating the right foods, having access to the right foods, and having access to the right uh, spiritual and mental uh, things to help your your body and mind grow. <laughs> yeah. So just before we go, I, I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to um, to plug any of your projects or CDs or events that you have going on. Well, I am coming out with a record that drops on November 3rd with a band that I co-lead with keyboard player Ben Hoffman. Um, and the band is called My Tree. And I actually sing in that band. And we're really excited about finally coming out with this album because we recorded it last year in March. So it's been a long time <laughs> coming. Um, so that's coming up. And we have a release show at Mercury Lounge in New York City with Melanie Charles and DJ Center on November 2nd. And that should be a party. So hopefully everyone will come down for that. (laughs) And uh, I'm also working on a quintet album of my own jazz project that features Marquise Hill and Julian Shore, Tamir Schmerling, and Jay Sawyer, uh, with special guests, Rogerio Boccato and Ben Hoffman. And that should be coming out next year. 
in the spring sometime. So nice. Wow. That's what's yeah. up. Well, this is it. This is the end, man. So, you know, <laughs> thanks for coming on the Working Artist Project. Thank you for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Working Artist Project. Before you go, I'd like you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and check out what else I'm doing via my website, DarianDouglas.com. It would also be amazing if you checked out my Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description. Later.